You're listening to Ants Talk. Kate Seselja had a crippling gambling addiction. After putting her family of five kids with one on the way's last $20 into a poker machine, she knew she had hit rock bottom. Kate shared her story publicly in 2015 in hope to help other people struggling with gambling. In 2016, she started the Hope Project to help all people deal with life's struggles and develop strategies for resilience. Thanks so much for talking to us today, Kate. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you. for. I mean, I'm fascinated by your story and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are going to be too. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. Oh, it's, it's an issue that, um, you know, is so secret and hidden in this country, mm-hmm. but it's actually such a massive, massive problem. Um, yeah. So I'm, I was just going to start by asking you about your childhood. Could you tell us about that? Absolutely. I'm one of seven and I adored being in a large family and hence why I've had six of my own. Um, I'm second eldest of yeah, one boy and then six girls and yeah, just grew up in Sydney. Um, mum and dad are still together, you know, like just this very, um, you know, I would say regular childhood, um, great experiences with my siblings and, um, I, I didn't really, um, give it much thought as, you know, far as whether or not it was good versus bad. It was just, it was all I knew. And, um, yeah. So it's, I think with the work that I do now, um, focusing on, um, people's experiences, uh, with trauma is something that often is developed in childhood. Mm. Um, but I bring the perspective of people can experience trauma at any stage of life. And for me, and is the case with many people who struggle with gambling addiction, the trauma is actually a result of exposure to a um, product that we were never informed as being dangerous or harmful to our health. So, um, you know, I think that that's where I bring a really unique perspective mm, uh, and, and answer so many questions. So I was speaking to a woman the other day who, who said, you know, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what went wrong in my childhood that this has happened. And, and she said, I can't, I can't think of anything. And I said, well, I was in the same boat, you know, and I had to think about what happened once I sat down behind a poker machine and my brain essentially got hijacked. Mm. Um, the trauma of who I thought I was versus who, who I'd suddenly become was something that was so mentally overwhelming um, that I then spent over a decade trying to pretend like it didn't happen. It's funny that point you actually brought up because I, th- I think that a lot of people do that with food too. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's something that we're not warned about, but a lot of people do get an addiction to. And it's yes. funny you, you even talking about the large family thing. I come from, I mean, people think mine's large and it's only, I mean, there's only, there was only five of us kids, 
but my mother yeah. comes from a family of um, 12. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a friend that I used to live with, his family, he actually comes from a family of 16 children. <laughs> wow. So I really do get the, the, the aspect that you're talking about in that realm. Um, yeah. What I was going to say, in your past, like in your family's history, did you, did you see gambling around you back then? It, it was present in small amounts, you know, um, like I remember my Nana giving me scratchies for birthday presents. Like I had yeah, no idea yeah. that, that actually wasn't, you know, an appropriate thing. Um, I, you know, went to high school fates and things like that, where they'd have different elements of gambling, like mm. chocolate wheels and, um, and you've got Lotto the was, Cup each year. Yes, Melbourne got, Cup. Yeah. Um, but really, as far as pokies went, you know, my family, we just didn't hang out at a club. Um, so th- there was very limited um, exposure to them before I turned 18. Mm. And um, I-, I was with a guy at the time and he loved gambling in all of its forms. He would, um, he loved horses uh, you play the pokies. And so, you know, that was just that normalization of it. Like, oh, okay, everyone does it. Um, and it's in a whole bunch of safe public places. So, you know, there's no, um, it wasn't like I walked into an opium dam and, you know, started having drugs, but it was the exact same impact on my brain. And I, and I didn't, when Grasp I look that. back, majority of people I know, like the older people I knew, they all played bingo. Yes. You know, bingo yes. was massive back in the day. Because to be honest, like, I mean, I'm 50 and I don't really recall there being even pokies back in yeah. my youth. I don't remember. I they can't really remember. flourished um, in the 90s. Yeah, um, yeah. That's when they really started to like ramp them up and they were, they went from just being in a few venues to nightclubs, pubs, clubs, you know, especially across the state of New South Wales where I grew up. Yeah. So when did you, so was that with the, the, the past partner that you sort of would say that you first gambled as such? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And what and did you, do you recall, uh, was it just a, oh yeah, whatever. Or was it, did you feel something almost immediately like an attraction yeah. as such to it? I, I, I won first time. So ah. that was, that is often, often yeah. the case with, um, with people. We, we've totally underestimated that, you know, neural pathway that gets formed. Mm. Um, especially if, you know, I would say the only preconditioning I had um, if, if for want of a better word would be that, you know, growing up in a large family, money wasn't, you know, splashed around everywhere. Yeah. And to all of a sudden win a couple of hundred dollars after putting $20 in, you're like, Oh my gosh, that was so easy. Why, why would anyone do anything else? You know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't understand. Yeah. As I said, that the power of that belief that kind of got formed at that point and, yeah. um, and how, yeah, they've been intentionally designed to addict and mm. the, the government and the industry um, knew it. supportive of it, yeah. yeah. And going into it, they knew exactly what they were doing and 
there, there was no consideration to the human cost. Um, and that it, it just absolutely breaks my heart at such a deep level. Um, the number of people I know who've taken their life, the number of people, you know, the families that I've spoken to, destroyed, um, destroyed. just totally destroyed. Uh, poverty, you know, intergenerational poverty as a result. Um, with no social, you know, consequence, uh, you know, club, the industry gets to, you know, return 0.8 of a percent or something, you know, some tiny, tiny amount compared to what is taken. Yeah. And, um, and that often goes to sporting fields and room hire and, and, Stuff like that. It's not cash for cash. Yeah. It's, it's not um, helping restore human lives that have been shattered. That's for mm. sure. It's funny. I mean, I, I, I guess a lot of people, I mean, they just don't understand the thinking and the concept and, oh, how can you be like that? And how can you get addicted and, and all that sort of stuff? And, and going back to my point about food even, um, oh. as I said, I come from a family of five. We didn't come from a lot of money. Um, and I remember food was a big thing for me because when we were young and there wasn't a lot of food to go around and if there was something that was delicious like Cocoa Pops or, I mean, I wanted as much as I could get, but you, of course you only end up with one bowl because it's got to go through the whole rest of the family. So later on in life, if I went to buy a box of Cocoa Pops, I would easily eat that thing in a day, two days, just because... I couldn't stop myself. I don't know why I couldn't make it last. And I'm still like that to today. I can't make yeah. it last and I'll buy it with the intention thinking, okay, I don't want to put on weight. So I'll leave it for another, you know, it's going to last me two weeks or a week or it doesn't last a day. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I've realized that myself. So therefore I just don't buy the stuff because yeah. for me, health wise and weight wise, I don't need it in my house, but hopefully that will, that little sort of explanation will, will make sense to some people out there, some of the listeners that maybe don't understand how things can affect you. Absolutely. Know, especially later on in life. What do yeah. you think the draw for you was? I, I think it was that, um, you know, the, the freedom that it represented. Yeah. Um, you know, if I had more money, I would have freedom and then, you know, as time went on and the debts mounted, um, that was, it, it was like, I, I just want it. I want a way out. I want, I want to go back to normality. Um, normality where I was, you know, and, and that hope got shifted to, um, you know, maybe it'll be the next press. Maybe it'll be the next press. Maybe it'll be the next press, you know, and it was so consuming, yeah. so utterly consuming and, um, I, I, I totally lost connection with myself. Um, it, it was the scariest period of my life. Which I think we can all do at times through our life, not just through gambling, but also through relationships and work and just stress in general. I think that sometimes we can lose ourselves. And I mean, you know, I'll put my hand up. I've lost myself in relationships before. Um, yeah. So I definitely get that point of it. The, the one thing that's always freaked me out about, I mean, I, I enjoy, I've always enjoyed a little 
you know, tipple here and there, like Melbourne Cup I used to do when it was a work thing and whatever. Like I'd, I'd never gone and placed a bet myself, but if someone at work yeah. was doing one of those group things, I'd go, oh, yeah, I'll give you $5, whatever. But I've stopped doing that purely because of the cruelty towards horses. Um, mm. But I, what always got me about poker machines was, you know how you can sort of peep inside that little gap that's above the mm. screens and it gives you the, the numbers inside that mm. they, you know, sort of regulate and count. That's always gotten me. I've always thought something not right about that. Yeah. <laughs> like I just yeah. really feel there's a shifty side to it all. And, yes. and going back to your point of, you know, they've always known what they were doing. They only have to give a percentage back to the players, et cetera, et cetera. I find mm. that really shifty. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I think that, I wouldn't be surprised if in years to come there's a lot more secrets that come out of that whole industry. I really, I really don't. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's so dark. Um, the, the intention behind it is, is just, it's malicious. Yeah. Any which way you cut it. And I feel um, totally let down um, as, a, as a citizen, you know, yeah. that they were just <laughs> delivered up to every suburb um, like they're a solution to, um, you know, cash flow problems of, of an establishment. And like I say to some, um, you know, the, the two arguments they always give is, well, um, you know, it, it's good for, it, they're, they're good for employment, you know, they you know, people will lose their jobs if we got rid of the machines, radio, okay. And then the other argument um, they have is that, you know, they give money back to the community. Um, but all that money does is essentially buy silence of a thousand different community groups in an area um, that then can't challenge the, the very causes that they're probably fighting against, yeah. um, you know, in, in other ways. But if you had a butcher who was struggling for cash flow, they're not just going to put a pokey in the corner no, to, exactly. to help improve their, their cash flow. If your business isn't thriving without extracting money out of human beings in a really intentionally deceptive way, then that's not okay, you know. Mm, mm. I think that it's it's really cruel to um, justify their existence on the back of human suffering. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, when did you realise that you actually had a problem? Oh, I, know that there, I know that there was probably that breaking point of, you know, I mean, where I've researched you and I read the story about putting the last $20 in, et cetera. Yeah. But was there a time prior to that where you sort of went like, mm, this is becoming a bit of an issue? Yes. Quite early. Like yeah. probably um, a month or two in, yeah. I realised, wow, this is really, really powerful. But in not having an understanding of it as an addiction at that stage, uh, you know, I just kind of justified away like, well, I'm living at home. I've got disposable income. Yeah. I just keep going through my whole pay packet on payday, but you know, I've still got a roof over my head. I'm living with my mom and dad, you know, there's still food in the pantry. It's fine. Yeah. I'll be fine. Yeah. Um, but when 
you know, fast forward into the years of it being an issue in our marriage, that was a whole different ball game. And, and I tried to get help several times over the decade. Um, and I just, I wasn't met with any kind of understanding that made sense. Mm. Um, it was, it was only ever trying to stop a behavior, not actually restore me, not actually provide me with, um, an insight into, Hey, this, this machine is intentionally harming people. Um, it was only like, do you know the odds of you winning? It, I was made feel stupid rather than educated about what, what that, what the truth really was. And that education really came um, after the documentary Kaching, spelled K-A-C-H-I-N-G. If anyone out there is struggling with this, please Google that documentary and watch it because it will help you and your family understand the inner workings of the machine and how the human brain is, is targeted in that context. Um, so, yeah, and then just stepping out of shame. Yeah. It's something that we really have dropped the ball with on every front as far as human struggle goes. If we don't solve the issue of shame, then that pain will just manifest in other ways. And for me, carrying that, that shame and that guilt of, oh, you know, I've just thrown so much money away was something that just kept driving me back. Yeah. And until yeah. I was able to go, you know what, I'm human, far out, I made a big bloody mistake. But if I keep flogging myself for that mistake, I'll keep making it. Mm. I'll keep causing more and more harm, which is what I don't want to do anymore. Yeah. And so it was, you know, time to forgive myself. This is Anne's Talk. I've always battled with um, the fact that I mean, I, I look. Put it down to alcohol. Put it gambling, drinking, whatever it may be, drugs. I think that yeah. we we do things to fill a void. There's something mm. that's missing in our life, or something that we want to forget or repair or whatever, and we use those things to heal and mm. to, to fill us up, basically. Um, and yes. I've found I've always found it really puzzling that they decided to put those machines into a place that was already rife with problems and that's alcohol, you know, mm. like mm. you've already got people that are alcoholics. Now let's yeah. also give them a machine yeah. which they can just basically feed their money into and let's have an FPOS machine right next to that machine so they can continue mm. to go and get their payout to put into that. Yeah. Like the whole thing puzzles me. It really does. I think it's yeah. absolutely criminal what, you know, most places are doing. Um, I actually just went to Vegas, funnily enough, and that was an experience in itself because um, we were at the Bellagio, which is, you know, quite a lovely resort there, um, cool. and we had to walk through, how they've set it up is that you actually have to walk through the casino to even get to the lifts to go up to your room. So mm. they haven't separated it from the foyer or anything like that. You've literally got to go through the casino. Thankfully mm. for us, we've get, we gave up smoking about, I don't know, two years ago now. So smoke to me is just like, Ugh. well, they can yeah. still smoke. So I'm, of course I didn't want to spend too much time a lot around that area at all. But 
just of course, as I was there and I said to my husband, I said, oh, come on, we've got to at least put some money in just to, you know, we're in Vegas, basically. So, I mean, I'm able to just go up, put my, I think I put $10 in or something. And we lost the $10 pretty quickly. And he was like, okay, let's go. And I, again, I reckon I would be very bad because I was like, oh, come on, let's just do it one more time. Yeah. Where he won't let me do that. He's like, no, come on, come on, come on. But it is so easily, like so easy to fall into that trap. It really is so easy. It's incredibly easy. It is. Um, Because we are, we're human beings and we're, designed to notice um you know when when we're presented with something that is pleasurable mm. you know it's, it's something people often will say to me oh well i have um an addictive personality and i kind of quickly correct them to say no you, you're human that's quite normal um to be pleasure seeking yeah but what what we need to try and become more mindful of is um is this pleasure like harmful to me or is it um restorative because we can find joy and we can find happiness and we can find pleasure in things that don't harm us um and and so you know having that awareness of is this going to constructively meet my needs or destructively meet my needs um, and then it it stops it from being a oh this is good versus this is bad you know use using different language to try and talk to yourself more kindly um, it makes it easier to kind of self-correct and and recognize what your body's actually prompting you to do and nine times out of ten it's prompting you to self-care yeah meet your needs that you're potentially you know ignoring or just wanting to numb away or distract from rather than kind of give that um emotion or or need some attention um and meet it in a constructive way Mm. Can you tell us about the breaking moment? Yeah, it, it, it had just been such a long time of, I think, being um, so mentally, physically, emotionally overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, and as I said, trying to find answers and not actually... Uh, being met with anything that was helpful really uh, removed hope every single time. I'd like put my hand up and think, yeah, this is it, you know, this counsellor or this, um, you know, way of thinking about it, I'll be, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. And then I wasn't and I just felt destroyed um, on so many levels. And so I quickly... Um, yeah, realized when I'm, when I talk about the the cycle of addiction that, that I was presented with and how it just is, is so consuming as a person, you feel like, well, so the best scenario I can hope for is these periods of, of abstinence. Is that, is that, you know, um, if I'm an addict, then that's as good as it gets for me. Mm. And 
so part of the, the stepping out of that shame was reclaiming myself as a human being um, and not as an addict, you know, and not um, subscribing to that label or any label of any kind because once we do that, then we feel boxed in and the box that we kind of stepping into is shame again. And so for me, that point of hopelessness drove me to, um, you know, exhausting all of the funds that I had access to uh, and just sitting there crying for like eight hours behind the pokey. Um, I was three months pregnant and I just didn't want to go home. I didn't know where to go. I just felt so alone and... Um, you know, had I not been pregnant, I just wouldn't even be talking to you right now because there was nothing else keeping me here. Um, and that, um, that scared me beyond anything. But when I thought about uh, my little girl, who was inside me at the time, um, I felt like I just didn't have a right to, to take away her life. Yeah. And um, so I made that decision to answer the call that my husband, you know, he'd been trying for hours to, to reach me. And he just said, please just come home, mm-hmm. you know, and, that just blew me away because he'd often be, you know, quite angry and judgmental and um, about what was going on with me. But I didn't know at the time that that was him dealing with it through his pain, you know, um, in his way. And when I'm talking to families now about how to help you know, bring their loved one out of that shame pit. You've got to talk to them like you can see their pain clearly because if you're operating out of your own, it's it's just going to be like judgment and pouring more shame on top of a person who's already drowning in it. Mm. And that doesn't mean that your your pain, your frustration, your anger, your trust that's been broken isn't valid but it just isn't the right time to address it just then. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's actually so a great point you make. Great point. Yeah. It doesn't just relate to the addiction to gambling. That's to a lot of, no. a lot of things. Yeah. We've really got to check in with what, what space are we operating from? Mm-hmm. And if it's from your own pain, you've got to get that under control in order to see the other person clearly. And um, that, that was a huge moment. And that kind of shook him out of his, his own stuff for a moment to really see clearly he was about to lose his wife. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so he, he fought for me in that moment and um, I've had to fight for him in other moments. And, um, you know, we were 20 when we got married. We were so young. We had no clue what we were doing. Um, and we've really had to grow up 
together uh, together mm. in these last 20 years and it's you know almost not <laughs> worked in so many different ways but somehow it has and somehow we've been able to yeah help each other out of our own stuff and see each other as human beings and want the best for ourselves and for our children and you know focus on that and not get too far ahead and just be present and that has been something that I'm really really grateful for um you can imagine yeah we're celebrating our 20 years married in november so it's brilliant it's amazing it's a total miracle (laughs) yeah that is amazing um how much do you think you gambled over the years financially like is there a number yeah like over half a million far out wow (laughs) i don't think i've ever seen that amount of money (laughs) Um, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, funny enough, I mean, there was a situation with, um, one of my family members, um, who found out they were diagnosed with, um, cancer, um, and their way of dealing with it was, I'm trying to word this properly so I don't sort of bust anybody or say anything I shouldn't, but, um, their way of dealing with it was to go and spend money. Mm. Um, and their partner didn't know at the time that they were mm. spending this money um, until it got to the point where, you know, uh, it probably very similar to your, you know, break point. Mm. Um, and luckily, uh, you know, their partner found out and has understood and stood by them. And, and I mm. think that that is so important as humans that, when we are with people that we love and that we care about, that we do need to understand that I suppose we see a weakness in them that we weren't, we weren't aware was there or was ever going to be there as, you know, a a forever Mm. partner. Um, Mm. And I think that at those times, that's when you're needed the most, you know what I mean? Mm. And as Mm. you said, you can't come from, your own stuff at that point, leave it till after they've healed a little, then you can give it to them. But for that point and for now, yeah. you need to just take the time, the patience and, and the understanding and, and be able to handle the yeah. situation in a way that, you know, is probably going to make both of you mature really quickly, regardless of your age. Yeah. yeah. What have you, Completely. Yeah. sorry, go, go ahead. No, no, no. That, that, yeah, absolutely. I was just yeah. agreeing with you. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> that's all right. What have you done since to ward off the addiction? Restoring me. And, you know, that, that is the key message of, you know, the Hope Project and the system that I created called Awake is that um, if we don't focus on um, human being sustainability, mm. then all of it, you know, we're just vulnerable by default. We, yeah. If you're a human being, guess what? You could um, fall prey to um, any number of ways that industries have been intentionally designed to prey on human vulnerabilities. Yeah. So we've got to be kind of ahead of the game um, and be conscious of those industries and try as much as we can 
um, to kind of band together and get rid of as many as we can. Um, but for, for what we can't control, we can only control ourselves. Yeah. And um, so meeting my needs in a very conscious way, um, staying connected to the truth of who I am, my own uniqueness, not trying to compare myself to other people, um, being, you know, authentic and keeping my eyes forward, like not drowning in regret and, and, you know, bathing in shame every day, but trying to focus on what um, I can do moving forward. Mm. And, yeah, just really being mindful every day of what is impacting my well-being and recognising when it happens so I can correct because what I, what I understood was we'll, we'll cop it from external um, impacts that we have no control over and it will be an attack on our self-esteem. Mm. It might be an attack on our self-awareness. So something, there might be a, a blind spot in our um, knowledge, which is perfectly fine. We don't know everything. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not born fully formed humans for a reason. We're meant to grow. We're meant to fail. We're meant to grow through our learning. Um, and the other um, aspect of our well-being is self-care. Mm. So if you think of that like a triangle, um, then you can recognise which part of it has been impacted and then work towards restoring that area. I think that um, as my queen Oprah <laughs> says, <laughs> she says that, um, you know, you only know what you know at the time. Um, yes. And I think that's a really good point. And another really good point is that I think that people struggling with addiction and people that are close to the people struggling with addiction, they need to always remember that this isn't, everything about you it's only part um and we can't forget the good of the person do you know what i mean because there is so much good in each of us and you know we can't let this one issue which can be dealt with overshadow the goodness you know that's that's another point what i wanted you to do though too is tell us about the hope project well just quickly on that last point was yes. why what in the in the intro when um, you said you know helping other people with gambling addiction uh, uh, with gambling mm. um, you you first wanted to phrase it um, gambling addicts and yeah. that's yeah in not in not using yes we can struggle with addiction but it doesn't make a person an addict um, that label is so damaging to human beings and the, um, that movement of identifying as your pain is so, so damaging and it keeps people stuck. And that's why the people keep re, um, re-struggling and staying in that spiral of, of pain. So on that front, that's one of the, the big messages of, of what I do um, is help people to look at their their pain their issues in a constructive way and see it actually as an opportunity because it's it's just a call Mm. for us to realign and readjust our lives and not um not feel like we're profoundly broken or we're less than or um that we're defective but that 
there's an impact to our well-being that has happened and it's either been through an external environment or an internal environment something that we've taken on as something that's not true um, but we had no other skills in order to interpret it at the time so you know that wound could then drive us without us even being consciously aware of it and that's where you know that impact of um, childhood is is important um, to to realize is there something that has happened that you haven't properly dealt with and that you are carrying with you um, that is driving you um, without you knowing it then on the other side is there um, ex external or internal environments that we are intentionally putting ourselves in harm's way um, that we can kind of make better choices you know is it a friendship group or is it uh, you know a, a school or a work environment and if you're not connected to something else that is good and joyful in your life and that represents your whole world well of course you're going to be trying to medicate your way through that um horrible toxic you know space so um the hope project i basically talk in workplaces schools um unis run workshops and just put a new perspective on how we're currently dealing with um pain in our culture and it's you know spoiler alert it's badly <laughs> um and how we can really easily um, develop skills in a proactive space to have constructive conversations with one another um, that help people get to the, the the cause of what's going on rather than just go, oh, well, you're an addict and you belong over there with those people. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, It's so unhelpful the way um, we've set up uh, pain in not talking about trauma, you know, for decades and decades, it, it, generations gone by, their way of dealing with stuff is just keep it hidden. Yeah. Um, and and that just doesn't, pain left unprocessed doesn't go away. Oh, it's going to come out. It's like a boil. You know what I mean? Totally. totally. <laughs> Basically, let it, let it keep festering and it's going to pop one day. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, what have you learned about yourself since? I've learned that I... I'm a very compassionate person um, and I love how I see people now, you know, like I don't, I see their pain and I just kind of meet them there and try and help them to just shift their perspective of it rather than um, before yeah, I'd really kind of subscribe to the conditioning of, you know, there's there's good people and there's bad people. Yeah. Well, now I think yeah. that there is really hurt human beings and there's, there's people that haven't really been exposed to any pain or trauma. You know, that, that's, that's the two kind of categories of people I see now. Um, yeah. And if only people that were more able to help others would see them in a correct light, then, you know, 
our society would shift rapidly. Yeah. Um, but whilst we keep um, pushing these models of of labelling people, yeah. it, it just is so unhelpful. I actually so think un- that um, there's that uh, Humans of New York website and Facebook page and everything, um, Instagram page that I absolutely love because it gets out there and it it shows you and introduces you to people of all walks of life Mm. um, and lets you know their story. Um, Mm. Because I think a lot of us can often walk by people and see homeless people in the street or, you know, or Mm. people that are affected by drugs, et cetera, et cetera. And that is all we see about them where this website will actually tell you their story and, and inform you of maybe why they're where they are. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. where you really do see so many people's pain and so much of what us mm. as humans have to put up with and face. Like some of the stories are heartbreaking. Um, totally. And it's just, you know what I mean? I think it's a really good thing for people to go and look at because it really will sort of open your eyes to other people's stories. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to be able to see people clearly and not just judge. Exactly. Um, And label. mm, mm. How can people find you um, if they're looking to, you know, connect or read about the project? Um, The Hope Project, the dot hope dot project on Instagram um, and Facebook and basically just Google either the Hope Project or Kate Seselja and I'll pop up. Um, I, yeah, I just, I just love connecting um, with people and either kind of help them plug in to help where they are um, or give them the resources. You know, I, I created a little um, book to help, uh, people develop their own resilience and perhaps look at uh, their struggles in a different way. So that's available on my website, thehopeprojectnow.com. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's something that I just want people to be less afraid of yeah. um, because there's more people struggling than not. And, not definitely. Um, and, and I think that, I love now how many people I I feel like are getting on top of their pain rather than just continuing down on this road of, of struggle that is only going to worsen. Um, That to me just gives me so much hope that people are just um, feeling like it's safe to be able to be human and talk about their stuff in a really constructive way. And I think that's part of the problem of the planet is that we're all running around trying to act so strong all the time. Yes. Um, and yeah. we're, you know, we've, you know, we've been taught that weakness is, you know, wrong and it's just, you know, mm. not supposed to be like that where I, you know, you definitely are seeing a change in the last few years where people are becoming more open to share their pain and to open up and, mm. you know, and I think it, it makes us all feel better and realize that none of us are perfect. You know, we're not. No. You know, no. we've all got we've all got issues, <laughs> and if anything, yes. I bask in my issues these days. I'm like, bring them on! I'm proud yeah. of them. 
that's the thing. How can there be a normal if we're all unique? Exactly. So, therefore, how can there be a perfect? That's it. Um, if we're all unique, we're we're each other's um, perfect. You know, like that. Uh, we're perfectly imperfect, um, each one of us, and we we have to see the light in each other and um, help nurture that and and create connections and not see any other label because it's so irrelevant. It's so irrelevant, exactly. you know, soul to soul and human to human. I agree. And on that point, thank you so much, Kate, for chatting to us today. I really appreciate your time. It's been a beautiful chat. <laughs> thank oh, you so much for sharing your story. I've just adored speaking to you. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And I hope to speak again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. I'll talk Bye. soon. Bye. Yes. Ants talk. It's like Oprah, but not.